Come to the cabaret on the couch. Cabaret on the couch. Right, here I have multi-award winning, critically acclaimed, five stars coming right out of his butt, an all-round gorgeous man, Reuben Kay. Welcome to my couch, Reuben. Hello. It's such a lovely roomy couch. Oh, <laughs> snuggled up as we are across <laughs> continents. In what what year is it? What year? Where am I? Who am I? What am I doing? It's been it's been what? I've been in lockdown for how many days in Australia? It's been lovely to hear another human voice. Someone to say my name so I remember who I am. <laughs> Ruben, if you would indulge me, I would like to start this session off uh, by reading from the book of Julie Andrews. Please do. I know that I am all that I am, and all that I am is full and ripe. All that I am is standing still, waiting and watching, and bursting with life. Holding the straining seams of my skin, my passion and wit and my sanity in, waiting for someone to soothe and to say, I understand, your home. In your last show in Edinburgh, you begin by inviting the audience in, all the audience, but particularly those who don't fit in. In this poem, it talks about finding a home. Was Cabaret a place where you felt you had found a home? Yeah, for sure. It's interesting, Cabaret is, uh, is one of those places that historically, uh, has always welcomed all the weirdos and anyone who has an idea because it's such a melting pot because it's such a combination of forms and rules and um, I want to keep saying suppression but I mean the opposite of suppression because I've had three Negronis um, <laughs> a revolution subversion that's what it was an SU and an R and an N in there somewhere uh, it's it's definitely one of those, and especially because I went to, I started it in Europe, really. Like, I, I dabbled in Australia, but in Australia, there's a lot of um, musical theatre cabaret, so Sondheim on a Stool, um, people using uh, songs to tell stories, but usually doing the songs as the songs, and it's a bit like halfway between a concert and a, a confessional. Mm. Um, and what I came across in Europe was this sort of... Um, Teutonic variety style burlesque circus cabaret freak show mm. side um, of cabaret. And that, in essence, was really when you think about cabaret, that's what people think about. You know, you, you, a lot of people might go for England's version of the music hall in you know, a couple of hundred years ago. But for the most part, people think of cabaret and they think, mainly because of Fosse's Cabaret, the movie and the musical. They think of that. Mm. Um, Brechtian, vile, political, you know. Mm. People um, do get confused about Cabaret, don't they? I, I often find that when you say Cabaret, think people go, oh, you're going to take your clothes off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a very different show. You mm. just have to pay a little bit more or less, depending on how I feel about myself. Mm. You know? Yeah. So how did you find... So I think Oh, sorry, I think there's a bit of a delay. There is a bit of a delay. That's okay. You carry on. Technology. It's all right. We can just fix it in the edit. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you. In that case, I will keep drinking. Please do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I got one there because also I, I did musical theatre at VCA, which is a fantastic course. And I was, um, I was very lucky to do that course. And when I went into musical theatre, I realised real quick that it, uh, 
taint for me, you know, tis not pour moi. Um, <laughs> because it, there's many things that musical theatre does and it requires a lot of regimentation and discipline, you know, and it requires people being okay with being told what to do. Um, you know, it's such a collaborative thing. And there's a real, I found that there was a real hierarchy to it. Mm. You know, I was a, I was a Megaldi and a Vita over here in, um, over here. I'm in Australia, you're in London. Flip that, <laughs> flip that, bang it, reverse it. All the things that Miss Yellow would like to do it, but I can't say. Um, uh, and I just found the fact that I, someone told me what to wear, what to sing, how to move, where to go, and I'd do the exact same thing day in, day out. Um, and, um, and you know, the UK tour, touring in the UK with a musical, it's not like touring in Australia with a musical where all your accommodation is paid and your transport's organised and it's all like a professional contract. No, it's like Colditz around the UK. It's a bus and truck tour, you mm. know? Um, so I kind of just went, you know what, I think I need more autonomy in my art. Um, and if I'm going to be having shit circumstances I want to be the author of those shit circumstances not doing them because mm. so I did I went off and uh dropped musical did also eight shows a week eight shows a week Nikki mm. for, yeah it's a lot for, for how much yeah for very little money I moved over there to pursue musicals in the west end and did that and then realized no 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 <laughs> and then I came over um and then I started doing cabaret only when I started doing cabaret did it bring me any form of um I don't want to say happiness or joy because that sounds melodramatic I mean it was fun it ignited me and it got me bookings I started getting a much better career than if I had tried to continue being you know tenor number five with a pitchfork and or a briefcase on the mm. Riviera mm. yeah I think also when we're younger and we see a kid who's extra, you know, mm. what they do is they say, you want to sing, dance and act, just go musical theatre, just do musical theatre. Because you don't even know, like I didn't, I didn't realise that I could be a cabaret performer in a high school. And I think, so, that we, oh, how do I put this? I mean, I think if I had known, um, I would have been, I would absolutely known exactly what I wanted to do if I had, if I'd been given that information. Now, am I saying you need to go and shove every kid into a strip club? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> no, I'm saying, um, uh, but I think also as the world becomes more globalised and information becomes more available to everyone and kids are increasingly living on the internet, they're, you know, there'll be kids out there now who are like five and being like, I can quote every line of cabaret and I'm going to be an MC and I'm going to be a cabaret artist. Mm. I'll be part of a, a German band called Fist, but spelled with a Y. <laughs> you know, something like that. Mm. But of course there is, you know, with more information out on the internet, you know, you still have to kind of cut through and direct children to where you know, where they can see and where they can access information, which we're all seeing a lot right now. You know, the internet has I, just exploded in yeah, the last fortnight. Yeah, I can't, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of staring into screens. And I say that because I, I get addicted and pulled into it and I have to really now discipline myself to step away from it. 
Mm. You know, even this conversation, Nikki, is over my quota of exposure. Oh, really? Um, Are you no, monitoring I, I, yourself? Well, I've just had to um, disconnect the Xbox. Right. Let's just say that. Because it's been, because obviously in Australia, we, I've kind of been semi-social distance slash lockdown for a few, since I landed, which was March 11th. Right. Gosh, that's so a long time, isn't it? So I'm on 15 days. You're already yeah, on 15, 15 days. days. I mean, especially, yeah. As, and I, for me as well, it's been a, a long time of lockdown because I'm, uh, dear readers, here's where the real scoop comes in. I've been recovering from vocal surgery um, and some pretty severe vocal problems, uh, which meant that I didn't talk for three months. And during that time, I couldn't afford to cough, cry or sneeze. So going outside wasn't truly a possibility. Well, it was possible, but you just had to be super careful. And I was kind of barraged by this constant fear um, of what that was like. So. I've been, I've been on, I've been doing this whole shtick for a bit long. I was doing it before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you were ahead of the zeitgeist. Yeah, that's me. So what happened to your voice? My precious, my voce. Yes, your voce. Well, you, um, um, so I had a, 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 a I had a stroke, listeners. Um, <laughs> no, I, I had a cyst. I had a cyst in my sinus that had taken up the entire right sinus. So this whole area from your nose to your ear, which is like a nice chamber for resonance and con connection and, f and drainage for your ear, etc. That's where your ear drains to, your nose. Isn't that disgusting? That's delightful. That means there's a moment where wax and snot meet. Oh. <laughs> Snacks. The <laughs> Little tasty snacks, just traveling. Or maybe it's where the wax becomes phlegm, becomes snot. Oh, God. So uh, good. That whole thing, it also goes up into your eye, by the way. Oh, so, so it's all connected. Wax, ear, nose, not, eye. Ear, nose, and then from your nose to your throat. It's mm. almost like the ear, nose and throat are all one system. Oh, they wow. should have doctors that specialize in that. <laughs> They should. Did you find one of those? Oh my God, I have seen so many ENTs. I am an ENT slut, Nikki. <laughs> I have slut pride, but only above the neck. All right. So all the orifices above the chin. All the orifices. They are all plugged full of ENT cum. Um, <laughs> I just look like a profiterole from the neck up. <laughs> like a slightly too packed profiterole. Um, Welcome to the first and last episode of Cabaret <laughs> Going downhill so quickly, but what would we expect from you, Ruben? So carry on, well, you know, Profiteron. Carry on. Mm. While, while we're spiralling downwards, mm. I had a cyst in this sinus. had taken up the whole thing and I'm like, well, you've probably had this for years. Like, well, that's comforting. It's like I had a friend and I didn't know they were there. Mm. <laughs> you know, a little like, oh, this is Gus who lives in the attic and we feed him buckets of fish heads. Um, so we decided to drain Gus, the cyst. Um, so I had to go under for that. And um, I told them I was a singer and a performer because I can't let anyone not know that I'm better than them. I did, however, suggest that if they're going in for sinuses, they could probably go in rectally with easier access. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's an open door, isn't it? It tracks out, you yeah, know, it's a, yeah. a two-way street. 
highway in so many ways. Any port in a storm, but at, at this rate, you could just call it a harbour. Um, so uh, they said, look, obviously, thanks for telling us, we use two different breathing apparatuses, one that goes through your vocal cords, but if you're a performer, we use this thing called an LMA, which sits on your larynx, you know. Um, and it, the, the, what happened was this LMA uh, cut uh, the top of my larynx, which is just like something that can happen. It's nothing bad. It's just around the top of your larynx. No instruments are involved. Um, but it will, it'll heal like any cut in your mouth. You know, same tissue. Yeah. Um, but what happens if you're really under stress, um, and I'm very prone to them, is ulcers, mouth ulcers. So the mechanism that I swallow, my epiglottis and all the top of my larynx, was covered in horrendous ulcers right. that wouldn't go away. Um, and it caused me immense pain, immense, immense pain. Um, and so they prescribed some gargles and things. And these gargles were aspirin based, which is risky for singers. Um, and I was gargling it three times a day. And of course, not talking a lot. And then I waited after the dosage had done and I waited after the time, uh, three days later, and I just went to um, a bar and spoke above the music. And the next day, my voice had nothing at the top. And what had happened, was I mean, we didn't know this until set three or four days later, seven days later, when I went to get another scan, was I had hemorrhaged a vocal cord because aspirin, of course, thins your blood and puts you at very high risk of vocal hemorrhage. So if you speak on a on a hemorrhage uh, and it's on the edge of the cord, it rubs and you'll get like a blister, a polyp, and that's what I got. Um, so from that moment on, November 29th, I didn't speak. When we discovered the hemorrhage, November 29th, didn't speak. Didn't speak again till Feb 10th. What was that like? Um, really, really shit. Because everything becomes about your voice. Because mm. the only thing you have is you can read and watch movies and things like that. But anything social, anything social becomes about your voice because you can't contribute to conversations unless everyone deliberately focuses on you mm. to sign or um, write. Um, and you're constant of it because you don't want to cough. You can't sneeze. You can't, you can't actually very, you can't actually cry. Mm. Like tears can come down your face, but you can't make noise. And that is, that's a real kick in the chest. Mm. Um, and you can't laugh. Um, and if you want to make a joke, you're always a beat behind the conversation. Like little things like that make you just super more and more withdrawn because mm. you just, well, I can't, I, can't, I can't put into this without A, causing an imposition on everyone else because they all have to stop what they're doing and look at me and focus. Or um, it won't come out as I hear it in my head mm. as it would come out of my normally gregarious and hilarious mouth. Which, of course, yeah. as an you know, as an everyday human, um, that would be challenging in itself. But as a performer, that is even more challenging, isn't it? Because it is tied directly. Yeah, for, a comic, for, for a comic or someone who, who's about speed, speed mm. of delivery. Yeah, it's, I felt it. Absolutely. It was like a millstone around my neck. It was like feeling, it was like, feeling like someone had their hand over my mouth the whole time. Um, 
psychologically, yeah, it was has been really rough. And um, and of course, I had to cancel an huge amount of work. Mm. Um, I was meant to be going to Perth Fringe, Adelaide Fringe, Christchurch Bread and Circus Festival. I was meant to be going to Seattle for my first ever American gig with a full work visa and everything for this queer um, Christmas show, multi-faith Christmas show. Um, nice, amazing piece of cool queer agitprop cabaret, which I was really excited to be part of. And then having to post, uh, post, post something and answer lots of messages. Oh, and uh, to put the icing on the cake, um, uh, the day I found out, two days later, my, my UK TV debut aired. Oh, wow. What was that like, knowing that everyone was seeing that and they wanted to talk to you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of I had offers coming through and I was like, well, I don't know when I'll be back. Like, because we just didn't know. No yeah. answers. No, no, no prognosis of, well, this will come back. It was, we'll, we'll just see. We'll just see what happens, which is, you know, what they say when you've got a hangnail and they think they want to take the leg. Mm. They're just like, oh, great. Um, yeah, I won't lie. This, the last seven months of this have just uh, been pretty uh, devastating. Um, well, they were in the scope of, in, in the tiny scope of my life. Do you know what mm. I mean? Mm. Um, and then just as all the gigs start being booked and coming back, coronavirus came in and took everything for a whammy. Um, yeah, it's an interesting time. It really is. <laughs> At the moment. Um, but luckily I had a, we got a new costume made uh, for the gigs that we're going to be on in Australia and, and in Europe. Um, and just as I was leaving, my costume designer, who was panning it over to me, said, by the way, I made you a, a matching coronavirus mask. Oh, <laughs> one, one day Yes, do. It's, it's like a brocaded... It's a brocaded lounge lame in pink, lighter pink and silver. Um, because why not? <laughs> and that's, I have the mask on now. That's why I sound like I'm being suffocated. Which is a little, <laughs> it's a little kinky, you know. It's very gay bane, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe you'll let me um, post a little photo of a screenshot of that. Perhaps. Oh, I'd love if that. lucky. All right, let's just pose for me. I'm going to take a little screenshot. Yes. All right. <laughs> we do what we can. We do what we can. Oh, that is fantastic. I'm loving that. That is very disconcerting. I saw an image of um, one of the retail heads wearing a matching corona mask with her dress the other day, and I did think of you, and, of course, you've already sorted that out well, well before. In in Melbourne, of course, it's a very fashion-forward city and you are seeing a lot of people with kind of matching, mainly all blacks. Let's, let's not deny it, it's Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Asymmetrical, all black, resin jewellery. Very classy, very cool. Um, having uh, black on black on black, black mask, black, black, black cardigan, black everything. <laughs> like a covert, covert assassin. So... You've already been in a position where you've been forced to change. What did you do to get through that? Um, 
Well, the first thing to sort out was um, cash, you know, uh, because I just I just been paid from Edinburgh and I had just paid off everyone. You know how Edinburgh works. You get paid in November or October from an August season, and of course, that's when all of the people who you owe money for for Edinburgh need the money too. So you get that money out there. So I was flush flush broke when um, all this hit. So the first thing I got sent to was two great charities. I just didn't realize there was support networks out there for self-employed performers, you know. Um, and what were those I've charities? Worked, uh, there's the actorsbenevolentfund.org.au and the actorsbenevolentfund.co.uk. And they, um, they were very kind and they, they understood and they gave me not a lot, but they gave me something. Equity gave me a hardship grant, only 250 bucks, but you know, that means something. Mm. And Help Musicians UK were very good at connecting me with uh, healthcare professionals uh, and resources. And they would cover the costs of those resources. So they won't give me cash. They wouldn't give you cash outright, but they would say, look, we'll cover the costs of your singing rehab and we'll cover the costs of a BAPAM, which are British health uh, professionals for artists. Um, so a, a psychotherapist who can specialize in performers. So there was some psychological and therapeutic support and there was some singing rehab support. Amazing. You know. So those two charities were really great. And then it was I actually had a very small group of friends who were really belligerent <laughs> and persistent about maintaining contact with me. Um, because I guess in times of uh, hardship, I have a tendency to, tur to turtle my way through it. Um, just pull everything in and uh, hide it out. And uh, they, and yeah, they just, they just, railroaded me into social activities which was needed really needed um and i guess i i had plans to always to always book gigs again so that gave me something mm. and i wrote oh i wrote <laughs> i can't believe i just said this like ma, ma, ma. i wrote a tv show oh great okay well <laughs> 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 I wrote a TV show. Um, uh, yeah, and I started to think about more about um, different avenues, um, different streams, and uh, that TV show is getting a, a nice kind of. A lot of people like it. It's on. A, it's in the process. Who knows? It could get made. It might not. But I wrote it, and it was something. bored at home trying to do something it's like how can I be busy well the way I'm deciding to be busy is to talk to everybody and that's great though that's so that's so smart and for that's you really you decided to write a tv show well what I what I realized was that there's stuff in my shows that um I want to be able to do with my like I've done cabaret for what is it now almost nine years um shy of a decade because I'm so youthful and there's parts of it that I want to examine in forms that aren't cabaret and there's stuff in my life um, that I want to find a way 
to explore that aren't just through the medium of me talking about them. Um, whether that's by writing, whether that's by other people helping me act them out in some sort of extended therapy session, for which I would also get paid vast amounts of money for, um, that could also work. Mm. And if those, <laughs> those other actors are played by incredibly attractive actors with lots of gratuitous sex scenes, who am I to stand in my own way? Exactly. Just write more of that. Write more of that. Yeah, I would like 1993 Brad Pitt to play <laughs> my lover, please. <laughs> done. That's what, done, done. Um, I think so, that's key, really, if you're going to write a TV show, just do the list of everything that you need to tick off, off your bucket list and then have someone else pay for that. Yeah, I think it's going to be, I can't see any problem with someone having to fork out the cash for time travel for me to bear back with 1993 Brad Pitt. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a scientist, Nikki. I'm a professional homosexual. <laughs> just sing and dance about being alienated from masculinity. Sorry, I just stepped into my, into my walk-in wardrobe, um, which is in the same room as my bed, uh, but it still counts. <laughs> Yeah, it's the second room, definitely. That's what we're all holding on to right now. I've got a wardrobe that's with a sliding door, but that's another room for me. That's an, just another room for you. It's also a Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thinking about what could have been, where you could have been. Should I have released a candle that smells like my vagina? <laughs> yes, yes, you should have, Gwyneth. I will definitely pay $70 for that. <laughs> Gwyneth's goop. Gwyneth's goop i just want other celebrities i want other celebrities to do it like we're all wondering what the candle that renee russo's underboob smells like oh success i yeah i wrote this tv show because i wanted um to explore parts of my life it's specifically uh, so my father died uh, three years ago which is very actually more recent than i give it credit for and it just struck me that um Something very interesting happened. Uh, when I came out to my father, his problem, not problem, his difficulty with it was not necessarily the fact that I was gay. You know, he was a painter, my mom was a dancer. It was in, on the cards. His, I think, sadness stemmed from the fact that he thought that that meant I would never have biological children. And he, we come from a family of Holocaust survivors. I mean, they do, they are. I, as third generation, kind of Holocaust adjacent. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But dad was raised very much with this paranoia and fear and trauma about the Holocaust that was passed on from his father who, who survived. And his view of a family tree that generation by generation had been decimated, just decimated by the Second World War. And, uh, and Adolf Hitler. And so I think when he moved to this country and he had two sons, he really had this, he's a Russian, you know, Russian Polish guy. Um, he really had this feeling that, yeah, this is how our family can live, you know? And, and I think when I came out, his immediate sadness was because he looked at me and saw a dead end genetically, you know? And I felt that. Whether or not that's exactly what he felt, that's what I, I've kind of surmised and gotten from my conversations with him. And uh, that really 
affected our relationship and affected um, how I think about masculinity, fathers and sons, queer fathers and sons. And I wanted to kind of write about that. I think it's very interesting in a post Second World War II family or in a World War II family, a family that's very much defined by this thing that happened not so long ago, but now find themselves in a world that the genera- another generation has come up who've, who think of it as ancient history. Mm, mm. And I wanted to write about that when you see a person like me who performs uh, in an art form that is also hailed as coming from Berlin, uh, specifically in the 20s, 30s. I just think there's a lot of connections in there mm. and there's a lot of really interesting things, A, politically, B, aesthetically, C, for, in human relationships. And then it's surrounded, of course, by the fact that I have a painfully showbiz family. Mm. You know, mum mum is now a filmmaker uh, in Australia, and you know, her idea of housework is sweeping the room with a disapproving glance. And my brother uh, is an agent. He was an opera singer, um, and now is an agent for opera singers and classical musicians in London and uh, Europe. And he's married to an ex-Islamic Egyptian jazz singer who looks a bit like the Egyptian Woody Allen. It's looks so, so silly um, and fun. Um, and then dad, yeah, so dad, dad got cancer three years ago and we had a pretty, a pretty strained relationship. But one of the things that was amazing was once he got diagnosed, he and I kind of went, well, we have no time for this bullshit. Um, so we just got everything out on the table. Mm. Sat and just got everything out. Um, we talked about what we thought of each other as father and son and what our fears were. What our, and they just got all of the baggage out. And sadly, ironically, those three last three years of his life were the moment when I got a dad back and he got his son back which kind of sucks that you had to go through, you know, cancer to get that relationship put back in perspective. Did he come and see you before your reconciliation and before you worked all of this out? Yeah, he, he saw me perform. That's the, that's the I think, uh, the, the weirdest part was of all the things that you assume a father would have issues with, those weren't it. It wasn't the performing, it wasn't the drag, it wasn't the, the nothing but dick jokes. Um, it wasn't the high heels, it wasn't that. It was, it, w- it was a whole raft of other stuff. It's also dad is a very non-confrontational person. Bless him. He was so, never raised his voice. Um, I think he was very, still very scarred from the idea of conflict. Mm. And so he avoided it in all forms. And I'm a hugely conflict-driven person, which is a nice way of saying asshole. Um, but no, I believe that confronting something, not aggressively, but hey, this is how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? Let's work it out. Or hey, what's happening here? Lay it down. Okay, let's work it out. Do you know, Geraldine Quinn uh, was a roommate of mine, you know, the singer, songwriter, mm-hmm. cabaret artist, extraordinaire, astonishing voice. Mm. She once, she told me uh, this story that she saw on Flinders Street Station, um, these two people looking at touch, shall we say, worse for weather. They'd had a, they'd had a tipple, mm. shall we say. And there's a lot of acid wash 
and maybe a band t-shirt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, getting a picture uh, there, yep. Maybe one pinky nail, a bit longer than the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we're here. Yeah. Um, and man and a woman having a fight, and I believe the woman kicked the man smack bang in the nuts. He goes down, stands up, and limps off, clutching his crotch. And as he does, he turns back and shouts, I'll see you in bed, Norell. <laughs> Norell, that's the key. I'll see you in bed, Norell. Norell. And also, like, what a beautiful scene of conflict resolution. Mm. Confrontation, <laughs> resolution, makeup sex. Even right if there. that bit has a Doc Martin print on it and it's been slightly flattened. But he'd be used to that. He can still use it. Still use it. Yeah. Gotta, gotta have it there. What else is a man to do? <laughs> so, I mean, I love, I do love how we've nights moved around on this conversation. <laughs> do, you, do you use that phrase? What a nights move? Mm -mm. Is that familiar? My mum raised me with this. Oh, what a nights move. Using it every day. Oh, what's a nights move? She does not play chess. <laughs> she does not play chess. The closest thing she's gotten to playing chess is moving her, her drink to a drier coaster. <laughs> and she's there making this thing up. So I, as like a 10-year-old, going off to school, going, well, that's a bit of a night's move. And I was going, what are you talking about? See, again, it wasn't the drag. It was everything else that got the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about high school a little bit in your shows your schooling wasn't really that fun for you? Oh, God, no, no. Um, 90s Australia, 90s, 2000 Australia. Didn't know how to deal with, I think also I was, I was borderline meant to be medicated for ADHD or they wanted to. Um, luckily my parents said no. But also I was a hyper kid and I was vivi gay, 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 mm -hmm. you know. Liberace would have looked at me and said, calm down, faggot. Um, <laughs> imagine that, being so gay, you get gay bashed by Liberace. The, we knew it was him because he left the ring prints on the side of your face ribbon. Like, that's not from his knuckles. I, um, yeah, it was just, they just had no idea how to deal with a gay kid, which is really weird because statistically, there should have been so many at the school. <laughs> um, we had a gay careers counsellor who came to my show about my high school. And she actually told me that the vice principal had told her to shut it and zip it on anything about being gay, not talk about her relationship, not talk about any queer support networks that were out there, not talk about anything like that. And I was like, that is, and that was in 2000 or 90s and 2000. It's so recent for that kind yeah. of crap. And a lot of stuff like when I, a lot of stuff occurred because I got beaten and bullied pretty badly. Um, a lot of things like the school telling me to, that I, I just wanted attention. That's why I acted up. At one point, I was there with the bleeding head wound and they were like, you've got to tone down your behavior, Ruben, because you're, you're kind of making it obvious and you make, and you're asking for this. I was like, oh God, this is, and I guess at the time I was like, maybe they're right. But then I was like, no, they, 
you can't internalize this. This is so problematic mm. and wrong and, you know, keying into a lot of, a lot of things that are on trend now. When we tell women to, oh, you're asking for it, what were you wearing? You know, you can't blame, blame the victim, especially if the victim is a child who doesn't really get it, doesn't, it hasn't all fit, fit into place. Um, yeah, school was really, really shit. But the weird thing is, when I think about school, I don't remember those shit times. I remember all the good stuff, um, for the most part, obviously. Mm. And another thing, when I went to my 10-year high school reunion, all these guys came up and apologised to me. One of them was there saying, look, I've got kids now, and if any of my, anything happened to my kids like what I did to you, I would go crazy. And I just a few months ago got another a, apology out of the blue from someone who wasn't at the reunion. And it made me realise, you know, we all carry this shit around, not just the victim, but the perpetrators. They've been carrying it around, but they haven't had the release of, like, doing a show about it <laughs> and, and getting paid. They, um, they've held it inside, and it's obviously been a source of um, pain for them. As well, now, am I saying every perpetrator, every perpetrator is a tortured soul? No. Am I saying everyone deserves forgiveness? Fuck no. Um, <laughs> you know, mm. uh, but in this instance, I found I found that pretty amazing, and I'm um, a kind of a way to have some peace with it and deal with it, and see that it could be used for something constructive. Mm. Yeah, and I think if we're talking about catalysts for change, that was one of the, the first ones, one of the first, one of the, one of the bigger ones in my life mm. was that, you know, cause whatever happens to you, you have to find a way to deal with it and you have to find a way to have peace with it because the option of falling apart is pretty shit. Mm. So turning it's, to the positives. It sounds so trite though. It sounds I so know. trite. But, it would... positives, but trying to find a way to deal with it, Right. However, it is because not dealing with it, like falling apart, as someone who is, when I arrived here, kind of had it back in Melbourne with all this COVID stuff and looking after my parents and all that, had a, I would say, a solid five days where I was no use to anyone mm. and super anxious and, um, and depressed and introverted. And that's, I guess, fine for a little five day. <laughs> two-week jolt, however long you need to take. But you've got to, get, you've got to find a way to get out of it. Mm. Someone has to help you. Some people have to have help to get out of it. Mm. Um, if you can find something you can do, write a show. Mm. Write a TV show. Write a TV show. <laughs> do, a, do a Judy Garland in, in Summerstock. Let's put on a show. What can the listeners of Cabaret on the Couch hope for? What's the plan? Ah, well, the plan is we've got about 17 amazing cabaret performers who have signed up to be a guest on this show. So my isolation is now full. I have uh, the amazing Amelia Ryan coming on, Paul Martin, uh, Sarah Louise Young is coming on, Michaela Berger. Oh, you are. This is a star-studded lineup. It really, really is. 
We are promoting the charities of each performer's choice and directing people to please click on the link that will be added to this podcast information or on nikkiaitkin.com forward slash cabaret on the couch. Uh, or you can go to the Twitters or the Instagram hashtag cabaret on the couch. In the information there, there will be links to the charities that we have discussed in each show and also to the individual performance pages because obviously every performer that I am speaking to uh, will have just lost all of their work. So the link will be in the information. Please donate for this episode to Ruben K uh, or to um, Help Musicians UK or the Actors Benevolent Fund. All of these links will be in the information. Please donate whatever you can. Obviously, I get a shout out. don't feel guilty about it. What? Sorry, I just interrupted you. Do I get a shout out? Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. You've been sharing your soul. You should get paid for that. Oh, I should. So come on, I've shared my soul. Now plug my hole, listeners. <laughs> Do you want to have a little thing? Oh, uh, yeah, we could do that. Um, we could do it on my own. Do you want to do it on my own? <laughs> oh my God, that'd be very calm. I'm just getting the lyrics up now. On my, on my own. Pretending he's beside me. This, one, this one's low, so it's. Oh, my I'm sorry. Did I just hit that you out of the blue? You did out of the blue. <laughs> Ruben K, so professional. All right. Can you? Okay, please make sure that that is in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the podcast because, ladies and gentlemen, that has never happened before in my life. Will never again. But now I have perfect pitch. Do you want to do it a cappella? Just like one verse? Oh, yeah, we can do that. Just do that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. On my, is that it? On my own, pretending he's beside me. All alone, I walk with him till morning. Without him, I feel his arms around me. And when I lose my way, I close my eyes and he has found me. So why was I in cats? In the rain, the pavement shines like silver. As a nod to Julie. All the lights are misty in the river. In the darkness, the trees are full of starlight, and all I see is him and me forever and forever. And I know it's only in my mind that I'm talking to myself and not to him. And although I know that he is blind, still I say there's a way for us. I love him, and when the night is over, he is gone, the river's just a river. Without him, the world around me changes. The trees are bare and everywhere the streets are full of strangers. 
oh my god you're gonna make me do the whole thing yeah. <laughs> i love him but every day i'm learning all my life i've only been pretending without me his world will go on turning a world that's full of happiness that i have never known i love him i love him i love him but only on my own. Oh. Oh. That's like the most I've sung in so long. <laughs> oh my God, thank you so, and thank you for doing the whole thing. <laughs> oh my God, and I thought I was gay before. <laughs> thank you so much well, for doing this. Oh, a pleasure. I've got to go. Um, go, I love you. Oh my God, I love you. you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye, darling. Bye.